You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening, listeners. This is Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. And in the studio tonight, we've got Emma and Catherine and me, as usual, Leo, and a special guest, author of a book called Troublemakers, and a bookshop co-manager, Catherine Barter. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Uh, before we start, I, I'd really like to dedicate this episode to the memory of a friend of mine, Alex Billy Singerman, who is a brother of one of my oldest friends uh, who passed away recently. He touched so many people not only with his incredible music and poetry, but also with his gentleness, warmth and curiosity. And his passing has left a a huge hole in so many communities around the UK and actually globally. Um, So before we start the show, I'd love to play one of his songs. Uh, He was a real troublemaker at school, and he actually wrote this song at school about his sister Evie, my good friend. Uh, So here's a song for the family. It's called Evie's Song, I think. Evie is a Satanist. Evie is a communist. On toast, Evie is death. On toast, Evie is a pacifist. Evie is a sunfinist. Evie is a caropodist. Evie is a botanist. Evie is death. On toast, oh Evie. Is death on toast? Is death on toast? Well, Evie is a flimsy mist. Evie is a swimmerist. Evie is a carapodist. Evie is a double twist. Evie is death. Is death on toast? Well, death is Evie on toast. That was uh, Evie's song by Alex Willie Singerman. I think he was inspired maybe by the Sex Pistols in there. I heard a little bit of that. But yeah, I think he wrote that maybe in high school. So, I thought I'd start the show by talking about Troublemakers because uh, that's the title of the book. So were any of you Troublemakers uh, when you were teenagers or perhaps even before? Um, I don't know if I was a Troublemaker. I definitely did things that got me in trouble. But I felt like I tried to keep out of trouble. It wasn't justified. <laughs> <laughs> this shouldn't have been punished. Troublemaker to me implies that you're really deliberately going out of your way to cause disruption. And I was a lot sneakier than that. What about you, Emma? <laughs> I think, yeah, I was a deliberate troublemaker, but in a very like minor way. So I think that, like, yeah, I was doing stuff to be a bit naughty so like at school I always dyed my hair a lot I got like I had piercings like stuff that wasn't allowed by the school rules but I mean is that really tr- it's not really a renegade is it but you know at the time you're like I'm breaking the rules did you enjoy rebelling are you glad you had that to rebel against yeah that little moment of rebellion is um 
you know, now I don't have any tattoos or anything like that. So I guess I had my little moment in secondary school. I think I had a like timeline of rebellion up to seven. Yes, like when I was seven. And then after that, I was just incredibly the opposite of rebellious. Like I would, I would do the opposite of what rebellious is. What was that? Like meet everything. But what were you doing until you were seven? Well, I was like a little prankster. Like I would like prank call people. What was your best prank? Laugh at people in the supermarket. No, it's. Well, they're really terrible. I don't actually want to talk about them. <laughs> they're, they're quite shocking. And like, I had a nemesis in, in the village where I grew up. <laughs> they were mainly centered around her and they were very personal attacks. So I do not want to repeat them. Wow. But it is important to have a nemesis, I think. So it is. I'm glad that you say that. I don't have one now, but up until I was seven, it was it was important to me. Um, did did you were you a troublemaker as a child, Catherine? Uh, I think I mean I think my parents might have a different perspective on this to me, but I would say no, not at all. I was very I, I hated being in trouble. I didn't like getting told off, so I kind of aspired to be a troublemaker. But actually, I was too I was too timid most of the time. I think comparatively, I was I was very well behaved. So it's not um, strictly an autobiographical book, then. No, um, aspirational. I think <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to be more of a troublemaker. So can you tell us a bit about it and and what it's about? Um, Yeah, so Troublemakers is about a 15-year-old girl called Elena who, after her um, kind of political activist mother has died when she's three years old, when Elena is three years old, she's been raised by her much older brother, Danny, and his partner, Nick. Um, And they live in London. Um, There's kind of a heightened... Um, atmosphere of of tension in London at the time because uh, somebody's been leaving explosives in supermarkets in East London where they live Um, and at the same time her brother gets a job with a kind of controversial sort of opportunistic politician Um, and his having this job causes a lot of family strife causes Elena to start asking questions about the mother that she never knew uh, and they're questions that her brother doesn't want to answer so it's kind of about family secrets and finding yourself and um and that kind of thing and i feel i should just say right now i read the book in preparation for this show and i really really loved it and i like i laughed at different bits and i cried at different bits and it was just like it was and it was also very well planned in a sort of um non-predictive way as in i couldn't tell what was going to happen so just wanted to say that i really loved it thank you laughing and crying is like the best endorsement right well, yeah. yeah, it was it was like very um, like going straight to your brain. One of those ones. So you don't need to like um, there weren't like big passages where you have to kind of extrapolate or anything like that. It was like you were living it in the present. And it was it was really vivid, I guess, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm really glad. Thank you. Uh, so what inspired you to write it? And did you have a particular reader in mind? Um, it's really so it's really hard to answer that question because you kind of feel like these things just sort of, you know, it's hard to pin down inspiration. I really like stories about um, siblings, and I always have. I was thinking about this the other day. I think uh, around like 2000, everybody was reading this book by Dave Eggers, the memoir called um, yeah. Not Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, what do I mean? Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, which is about him raising his brother after their parents die. Um I was thinking about this recently. I was like, I think that might have planted a seed somewhere a long time ago about sort of siblings raising siblings and this kind of blurring of that relationship. Um, So I think it was partly inspired by an interest in that kind of relationship. And did I have a reader in mind? Me, when I was a teenager, I think, was my reader in mind. (laughs) And did it reflect the way you were brought up in any way or the way you were politicised? No, not really. I mean, she obviously has quite an unusual 
um, sort of upbringing. And I had a pretty conventional upbringing by any standards. I had kind of a political family, although not a sort of activist, um, you know, kind of frontline sort of thing. So, no, I wouldn't say it's that directly taken um, taken from my experience. I want to know now, do you have siblings? <laughs> and would you fantasise about them? Like, would you <laughs> fantasise about them raising you? <laughs> uh, fantasise about them raising you? Like, would you ever, have you thought about what that would be like? Uh, well, I do have siblings. I have an older brother who's two years older and I have an older half-sister as well who's quite a bit older than me. Um... I think having older siblings, I always kind of did always want their approval and attention in a way. Um, I think as the youngest, you're sort of like, you know, um, always seeking that. So I think there's an element of kind of wanting the attention of your siblings that maybe is a slightly similar kind of thing. But but yeah, I think that's about as close as my own experience goes. And so how did you get into politics and activism maybe like did you you're saying you came from a semi-political household what was it like yeah kind of well I mean I grew up in uh, a town um my family's politics were not in step with the politics of the town (laughs) um I'll put it that way so I kind of had a sense of 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 sort of political difference um from quite a young age and then when I was uh at university I volunteered and then I worked for a campaigning organization um uh, working for the rights of um, workers in the garment sector and, and did various other kind of bits of volunteering and political activism and things like that. I've never been a proper sort of frontline direct action um, campaigner because I'm too timid, I think. Um, so my yeah, my interest in politics is sort of more um, quiet, literary, around the edges, I guess, maybe, yeah. So the book is written from the perspective of a teenage girl and it um, kind of takes on her voice. Um, how did you kind of pull that off? Were you kind of thinking of how, how you were as a, as a, as at that age or, or were you speaking to teenagers to kind of figure out how, how, how they talk or yeah. write? Or? Um, I think I didn't overthink it. I think if I tried to sort of think about how teenagers talk now, it would be, I'd be using too much jargon and trying too hard to sound young. So um I think it was my voice in a lot of ways. I, d- I have the benefit of having loads of teenage diaries, so I have very immediate access to my teenage voice, um, which is kind of useful. But, uh, yeah, I didn't overthink it. In a way, I don't know that teenage voices are necessarily that different to, to adults. It's a bit more direct, maybe, but, um, yeah. Yeah, are maybe that... Oh, yeah, go on. Sorry, um, I was just going to say, are there other books that you've read or heard of or used in research which look at, politics through the lens of a young person is there any inspiration around that or did it feel like it was something quite unusual that you were writing I don't know if there was any inspiration when I was writing it but now that I have I'm actually aware that there's a lot of um kind of young adult teen fiction that's um that's super political actually I mean one of the biggest sort of YA hits of 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 this year is um The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas which is kind of looking at um, uh, police violence in America. It's kind of sort of slightly inspired by Black Lives Matter. There's loads of um, teen fiction now that's kind of um, quite politically switched on, I think, and and, um, people like Louise O'Neill writing really feminist YA fiction and stuff. So um, so since writing it, I've actually discovered, you know, it's a pretty rich world, political YA, I think, more so than you might think. Because to me, when I think about young adult fiction... um, 
teenage fiction, you know, even for slightly sort of older children, a lot of the things that come up in my mind are things more based around um, relationships and um, dynamics between, you know, um, love interests, looking at sex and things like that. I don't really, it doesn't spring to mind books about politics, but that is something which obviously is, you know, it's a period of all of our lives where people do become very politicized. So it's great to hear that there's lots going on in that field. And I think also, I mean, people's like gender identities and sexual experiences as teenagers and things are quite politicized in lots of ways, you know, um, things like kind of sexism and rape culture and all of these things are are a part of teenagers' lives. So all of those kind of finding yourself and your relationships, there's a political dimension to a lot of those relationships, I think, too, too, as well, which YA is is actually quite good at exploring, I think. Um, I'm just wondering if there (coughs) were any books that you read as a teenager maybe that you kind of either really inspired you and you you really kind of think back to or maybe even were very political. Because I I was, yeah, as you're saying, I can't really think of many books when we were younger, but maybe that's just, I wasn't reading the right books. Adrian Mole was my big book when I was (laughs) teenager. Yeah, I was reading like the girls, girls in love. Adrian Mole gets political in the cappuccino years. (laughs) Adrian Mole is political when he's a teenager. He's definitely political. He is. It's not the. It's, like it's not the main thing. Is I know Pandora is always the main thing. Pandora <laughs> and Bert, obviously. But like, he, I know he if does we get stay in- on Adrian Mole, we are going to go down that topic <laughs> for so long. We could almost do a whole episode on Adrian Mole. I don't we know should, why we, we haven't should, done we that. We should definitely do that. I can't because believe we haven't done that. Whole, you love yeah. Adrian Mole so much, but. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we should save it <laughs> for a special. But yeah, was there any books that you really enjoyed? Were there any books you really enjoyed as a teenager? And were any of them political? Uh, there were lots of books I really enjoyed. I don't think any of them were especially political. I think I was really into like point horror um, was my kind of fun read um, as a young person. And then a step beyond goosebumps. A step beyond. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have goosebumps then. But um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I don't think I did. I think I think I kind of went from sort of fun, quite young teen stuff like point oh to just reading kind of like the victorians and things like that and kind of pretentiously um reading yeah things i didn't really understand as a teenager so do you think i don't know with your experience i don't know how much contact you have with teenagers now but then do you feel like your young people now are more politicized than than when we were teenagers um i I think, yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think right now it's a very politically charged and turbulent time. And I think um, social media and all of those things that people talk about in relation to young people, I think actually have led to a lot of people being really switched on and really engaged with um, certainly kind of the social dynamics of politics, but also kind of parliamentary politics to an extent as well. So um, my impression is there's a lot of young people who are pretty switched on right now I think a lot of young people are because I work in schools and I think a lot of people are very politicized but wouldn't call it that and wouldn't necessarily think they have an interest in politics but actually have a lot of really strong opinions on things Mm. yeah Yeah. I second that as someone who's also worked in schools um just to change the topic a little bit um while I was reading the book obviously there's a lot there are lots of references to this one photograph that um postcard Mm. that um the main character identifies um her mother in and there's there's this kind of like archival mystery sense to it. And I was wondering, yeah. um, the archival section of it, how did you get into that and how was that how did that come? Yeah, come well that's about? that's a real postcard actually. I can show you it. It's um it was inspired by a postcard that I found in the basement of the <clears throat> excuse me, of the bookshop that I work in, um, which is a picture of women protesting at Greenham Common in the eighties. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that really finding that kind of was part of the inspiration for writing this story of this girl kind of trying to find out about her mother who she's never really known um, and trying to piece together the bits of someone's life uh, when you haven't known them. So, um, so yeah, and kind of uncovering like histories of act because I did, actually didn't really know about Greenham Common. I only found out about Greenham Common like two years ago. We went to the feminist book fair at, yeah. the, at the at the centre down the down the road. Yeah, and um, and I learned about it through someone who was at Greenham Common. I was yeah. like, no, I haven't heard of it. And she yeah, seemed yeah. quite shocked, and I felt really really a little bit guilty because I've been yeah. doing a sort of women's podcast for like 10 years so. and for our listeners would Greenham either Com- of you <laughs> care to elaborate what is Greenham- maybe you should maybe you should go into oh, no, what Greenham no, Common feel, is uh, yeah I'm, I'm worried I won't have the, the, my dates right um so it was a women's peace camp at um the Greenham Common Air Force Base um and they were camped out for someone wikipedia how long they were there for a long time um protesting against nuclear weapons and nuclear proliferation and, and militarization and um and that kind of thing but yeah i mean it had a big sort of cultural impact at the time i think has slightly slipped <clears throat> slipped from from history a little bit but i think it's an important part of activist history and, and women's activism and, and um peace activism specifically so um, so yeah, I felt bad too when I, I sort of discovered it, and it's one of those things. Once you know about it, you start hearing about it all the yeah. time and realizing confirmation bias. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like um, so many guilty feminists in here, be like, I felt so bad. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also a historian, and um, I guess I'm a feminist. I am definitely a feminist. Sorry, that's not at all up for debate. Um, and so, like this intersection that I'd missed, in, and mm. I'm also really into the history of, of radicalism. Mm. So it just seemed mad. It seemed like unreasonable that I shouldn't have come across it and um and then i did thanks to this person throwing showing us these zines like do you remember that in in the feminist library you can listen to that podcast on in on a <laughs> very nice woman um a cast um going back to the um events in the book and you mentioned before there's a there's a bomber a mystery bomber um threat of terrorism and that tension and controversial politics um looms in in the book did you have any reservations about picking such a, a tricky topic to deal with, something which is very close to the bone for a lot of people? Um, was it something that you thought twice about? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not... I, I wouldn't say that it deals with... Um, it, like, it's, it's a story about a family, ultimately. It's a story about kind of family relationships. And that's more like the kind of backdrop of the world that they're living in. And I think that's so common, like teenagers growing up now have have always lived in a world where there's this kind of, there's always a kind of threat of of terrorism and uh, there's always kind of politically contentious things going on in the world around them. So I think it's, you know, um, you can't kind of underestimate teenagers' ability to deal with these things and um yeah and, respond and address to them. it yeah on. i mean if it, uh, yeah i think the fact that i felt like i was writing basically quite a sort of personal kind of story about relationships um made it more kind of that was a kind of way into it that's maybe less touchy in some ways kind of yeah in terms of going about the writing of the book um how long did it take you to write and when did you sort of realise it was a project that was worth 
pursuing if you see what I mean yeah when, when you got past that first bit of oh this is a great idea then you were like oh, I need to finish this yeah mm-hmm. um I mean literally how long it took from sort of the first ever word to actually being published was five years I think pretty much exactly um and I think when when I started I just finished I'd been studying for a long time I did a PhD and I was kind of in that post academia limbo and I was like oh, I've got loads of time I'm gonna write a book and um I think it didn't take me that long to kind of sort of grind out a first draft, um, but it, it was really bad. So then I had to keep kind of <clears throat> forcing myself to enter competitions and things like that and create sort of arbitrary deadlines to make myself keep trying to improve it. But I think I'd written loads kind of throughout my 20s. I wrote, I started writing lots of books that were really forced and, and, and no good. And I think with, this is the first one thing that I started writing where I straight away kind of felt like there was something there that I was going to be able to see through. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of easier than things that I'd written in the past. And how many, just, this is just my own curiosity as a, someone who started a lot of novels, how <laughs> many did you start before you knew that that was the one? How many novels did yeah. I start? I, I, I don't know, probably five or six and, and many like short stories and, you know, all kinds of I've got a long way ahead yeah <laughs> long way ahead yeah. of me um just wondering then how can listeners buy the book if they're interested in uh, purchasing it well you can buy it from um all good bookstores hopefully if it's not in stock you can order it at your local bookshop I imagine there are some online retailers where it might be available but as an independent bookseller myself I can't I can't endorse that kind of thing you can um you're gonna be able to buy it online from a bookshop called Houseman's Bookshop where mm, uh, I was actually gonna ask you about <laughs> that because I, I think you co-manage Houseman's as far as I'm aware I do. um can you tell us a little bit about it and what kind of what makes it really special because I think it's kind of quite a unique bookshop yeah houseman's is a historic radical bookshop in king's cross um it's uh it's been around since 1945 it's been in its current location since 1959 and its roots are in the post-war um pacifist non-violence movement but now it's a kind of non-sectarian radical bookshop so you know anarchism socialism feminism um queer studies anti-fascism um, lots of kind of radical politics and tra- different traditions of resistance um, is what it represents. And, you know, that's our stock. We have lots of events. We have lots of meetings that go on in the shop and um, stock loads of zines and kind of magazines and pamphlets and all things like that from different kind of protest movements and artists and activists and, and zine makers and things like that. So, um, so yeah. And how did you juggle the writing of the book and the working in the bookshop? Are you full-time there? And did it kind of yeah, you know, feed into it? Yeah, almost. Um, four days a week there. Um, yeah, I d- it worked okay. I, I tend to find that if when I'm not working, I'm actually really not productive at all. I kind of need to be um, doing things and talking to people to have any kind of productive, creative energy, I think. When I've been unemployed at times in my life, I've kind of, um, yeah, my creative energy sort of plummeted a bit so actually I think for me it's it's better to be working um in order to write at the same time I'm just watching Leo picking up tips for her next novel <laughs> sat there. how many hours can I work what can I do no because I had like a period of I think about eight months fun employment I called it yeah um so I started a project called a scan a day where I do a drawing every day and I did get into this weird funk of like yes I've just got life drawing class this evening <laughs> it's yeah. an hour when I get out of the house yeah. and I did start going a little bit um 
insular. Yeah, and like little things start to become a massive project. Yeah. Like I've got to go to the bank today. Yes, like, that's yeah. going to take my whole day. Office, it's impossible because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like by the time you've worked up the courage to go to the post office, it's, it's shut. already closed. Yeah. 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 Do you think yeah. if I spend too much time indoors, I get nervous of the outside world? Yeah. And yep. exactly that happens. It feels like it's such an ordeal to leave the house and yeah. get away from my own mental landscape. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. I feel once I'm kind of in the zone, I'm also very creative at home. I yeah. can't sit in a cafe and work or do anything like that because everything kind of interrupts me. So I need to just be in the house by myself, kind of starting to lose it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, me. Good point. <laughs> Sorry, it was alarming. I was suddenly pointed at. Um, I think that maybe that's all we've got time for because we've got yeah. a song that we're going to end on. Um, but I guess we want to say thank you so much, Catherine, for thank coming on. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having you. me. It's been lovely. lovely. Best really. So really just to, it's fantastic. to sum up, um, Catherine's book is called Troublemakers. It's currently in bookshops. Um, that's Hopefully. Correct. Yes. If not, you can order it. Yeah. Um, and um, yes, I'm holding it up like everyone can see it <laughs> and modelling this book. It made Leo laugh. It made her cry. Like, what more could you want? definitely check it out um i really enjoyed reading it and it was yeah it was a good read um and i also wanted to include another actually we should probably plug when our things about our show before i put another song but yes go oh yes of course so you can follow us on twitter that's at vlw radio find us on facebook very loose women revamped or just type in very loose women you can find us we don't have a lot of followers on um facebook so We've so. got a lot, but we want more. Yes, we've got about 400. <laughs> so jump us up. Since we've got a, so many Twitter followers. We have an underused Instagram account. Yeah, don't check that out because there are like more <laughs> photos on there. Um, but we also do have, of course, a podcast. So go on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Acast, and you can find, uh, I think, a backlog of 114 episodes. Uh, so check those out. Um, and obviously this one will be up uh, in a week. And every, every episode is a classic. Um, okay, so this is a final song by Alex Willie Singerman, requested by Evie. Um, and I think it's called My Heart Goes Boom. Uh, so I think we're going to play out on that one. So thanks, Freddie, for engineering, and thanks, Catherine, for being our guest. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good night, Bye. listeners. I can get inside your hair for a moment, just so you know. I can get inside your hair. For a moment, just so you know, just so you know, you make my heart go boom. You make my heart go boom. Wear your blazer in the morning. Tie up, tuck your shirt in Blair puts glazer in our class But it wasn't me Oh, we John Wilson We John Wilson You make my heart go blue You make my heart go blue You can be Forever drunk in some disco in the 90s, skinny fingers, baggy clothes, scaving off to see the crockets. I'm missing physics. You make my heart go boom. You make my heart go boom.
Here I am, I'm just the same But my heart's doing roly-poly 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 You make my heart go boom Boom heart go I can get inside your head for a moment just so you know I can get inside your head for a moment just so you know just so you know just so you know just so you know make my heart go boom 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 this program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.